Today's episode of Recovery Survey is fueled by Brainwash Coffee Company. I'm sure you've heard that drug and alcohol use is on the rise, especially during the pandemic. And Brainwash Coffee Company is working to raise money and awareness to support people seeking help. They donate 50% of their profits and their mission is to give back to the amazing recovery community. Their why is bold and their coffee is fresh. So if you want to sip on an amazing brew that warms your mind, body, and soul, then visit brainwashcoffeeco.com and use promo code recovery survey at checkout to get $5 off your first order. Brainwash Coffee Company, simple coffee for complicated people. You're listening to Recovery Survey, the podcast that shatters stigmas around different types of addictions and takes a deep dive into spiritual principles. I guess he hit something in the road. I was uh, pretty high at the time. And he came into my lane and I overcorrected and I flipped my car over a median. And I landed on the lid and I hit a couple trees. And so basically like my car did like a 360 flip in the air. And I don't really remember the accident itself. It just kind of goes black. And then I remember just like running away from the car. My guest today is named Matthew Bowersax. He has a degree in social work from Southern Illinois University, and he is currently the director of operations at Learn to Live Recovery. Welcome to the show, Matthew. Uh, my name is Matt Bowersax. Uh, I'm an alcoholic and an addict. Uh, my sobriety date is January 3rd, 2011. Um, you know, I can, I always kind of start when I tell my story, you know, I go back to kind of the childhood. I, I'm very much one of those people that, um, I am proof that recovery, you know, is possible. And, you know, I always like to, to preach that, but I also say that addiction doesn't discriminate at all. Um, I grew up in upper middle-class family family and um you know my parents are still together and um my family is extremely supportive now but back in the day it just kind of all started with me I just didn't feel like I fit out fit anywhere um growing up in school I wasn't a good student uh I have ADHD and (laughs) so I had kind of trouble being in that setting and um it was difficult for me to kind of fit in one place um, my, my friends and stuff would tell you that like a lot of people liked me, um, or whatever I could fit into a lot of different groups. Um, but for me in my own head, I felt like I never fit. Um, and that's, and that's kind of where I like to start things, you know, going through my younger years, I was involved in sports. Um, I liked kind of that that piece of things I could go and get out aggression playing, playing sports and, 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 and all of that. And, um, just kind of struggle to find my people, so to speak. You know, I struggled with ADHD and anxiety and, and depression, even though that's, I didn't know that's what it was. Um, I just, just struggled as a person. And then, um, going into, 
like my seventh grade year, I started to experiment with um, alcohol and weed and, and uh, didn't have much money at the time. So whatever I, I could really get my hands on. And once I tried it, I realized that that piece of my mind that was constantly going and going and going that I could never stop um, was quiet. And I could take a drink or, or a smoke or whatever, and I could feel comfortable in whatever setting I was in. Um, most people will tell you, they tell their story. They're like, I have arrived or whatever, you know, and, and that's how I felt. Uh, experimented during the seventh and eighth grade year going into high school. I was held back as a kid because of the academics. And so I was like one of the older guys in my class, I guess. So I got, I got my car freshman year. And, uh, so I was like driving my friends around and, and all that. And, um, really started to smoke weed a lot more, uh, on the weekends. I would always try to find where the party was. And I got my first job at a golf course and it was the best job for me because I was outside. I could smoke weed all day. I could go up to the bar and get what I needed. And uh, nobody really bothered me. Uh, I found that once I started, um, I couldn't stop. Um, if I tried and liked something, I want to do it every day, all day. And when I was about 16 and a half or something, I was into this girl and um, was going to meet up with her one night. And there was this other guy who was there and was kind of upset by that. And he convinced me to go out to this like abandoned, uh, it was like a place where they were getting ready to put in a subdivision for houses, but it was just a road and there was no houses. And we raced, we raced a couple of times and I beat him once and he beat me once. And then we come back the other way. I guess he hit something in the road um, or I don't really know what happened because I, I was uh, pretty high at the time and he came into my lane and I overcorrected and I flipped my car over a median and I landed on the lid and I hit a couple trees. And so basically like my car did like a 360 flip in the air and I don't really remember the accident itself, it just kind of goes black. And then I remember just like running away from the car and, uh, you know, the, my parents showed up and the paramedics showed up and the, the cops showed up and I just was scared, confused. Um, I wish I could say that that was the point where I decided that, uh, you know, I'd had enough and, and that, um, you know, I wanted to change my life, but that's not the truth. Um, I didn't attribute it at all to me being inebriated or anything like that. Uh, the paramedics had said that they had no idea how I was alive. Uh, you know, the, the roof was smashed in. If I was anywhere else in the car, there was no room. If anyone else was with me in the car, they wouldn't have been there. Um, I walked away, bumps and bruises. And I, you know, I look back on it and it gives me chills just to even think about it, you know? And, um, after that, obviously my parents had an idea 
that I was beginning to kind of use drugs and alcohol. So they kind of really kept me close. Uh, you know, I, I was only allowed to go to like work and school and that was pretty much it. But they didn't realize that if I was going to work, I was drinking, I was using. And not too long after that, I was diagnosed with lupus, which is an autoimmune disease that attacks your joints. It's uh, puts you in a lot of pain. And it's very weird for a teenage boy to get that. It's, it's very common among like middle-aged women. Uh, so, you know, I, at that point I was like, why me? <laughs> you know, my only escape at the time was sports. Uh, pretty good tennis player. Um, played a few other sports as well. I couldn't play those to the level that I wanted to. Dealing with the pain, I started to find other drugs. Uh, I started to dabble with painkillers and um, uh, pretty much any kind of pill I could get my hands on at the time. Uh, you know, I was suffering from kind of like post-traumatic stress from the accident. My mom started to notice that, so she sent me to my first therapist, and I found that I could get the therapist to do pretty much whatever I wanted. I told her what she wanted to hear. You know, she told my mom that that I was I was doing a lot better so that I could, you know, I could go back to life. A few months later, got a little worse drug-wise. So my mom sent me to an outpatient. And I did the same thing there. I told them exactly what they wanted to hear. I think I got clean enough to pass one drug test. And then I realized that I could take like certain pills and they would be out of my system quicker. So I stopped smoking weed as much and I started to drink more because they didn't breathalyze me. And uh, pretty much the rest of my high school career was me just being high and existing and, and drinking. And, um, you know, my parents were pretty much done with me. Um, my senior year, I'm the, the captain of my tennis team. Um, I really never played to the level that I could have. We got to the state tournament. My uh, tennis coach gives us our own uh, hotel room, me and the other senior guys. So automatically, I know I'm going to play on Friday. I'm not going to play Saturday. So I get a bunch of Four Locos, a bunch of weed, some Xanax, and I'm just going to hang out. Me and the other guys are just going to hang out. Uh, Eventually, you know, people were coming and going from the room. Coach came in a couple of times, didn't seem to catch us. I don't know how we got away with it because we were all messed up when we went to the team dinner. I didn't see him take the people out. So he came by later that night. There was a couple of the younger guys on the team that came in the room. And he saw one of them take a drink. And we all got in trouble. Uh, me. Two of the other seniors didn't get to play. Uh, later in the weekend, we were in the paper. Uh, me kind of flying under the radar was over at this point. I didn't get to walk at graduation. At the time, I didn't really care. Uh, at the time, I was like, well, you know, whatever. Um, so I just kind of fell deeper and deeper into my use and began to use cocaine. I found that if I use cocaine in social situations that I felt a lot more confident and comfortable. Uh, at the time, I was also 
dealing, you know, pills and, and weed and, and stuff to kind of offset my habit. I never made any money from it. I just ended up using all the rest of it. I was a lot of times in the hole at the end of the, whatever I had, I got into college somehow. I don't know how I went to college. It just got worse and worse. I started to become a blackout drinker. Uh, I would start drinking earlier than everyone else. I would be up later than everyone else. And and a few times it got dangerously bad. Uh, One time I played flip cup with with Jack Daniels and uh, I was blackout by six o'clock, like six o'clock p.m. And we went over to the parties and it was raining. I got kicked out of a party because I was just too drunk. I went and I, I fell on the deck and I cut my, my arm on a nail and I still have the scar. It's like right here, it's still pretty small, but, um, and I ended up with like no shirt, no shoes, lost my keys. I ended up in one of the school building bathrooms (laughs) and, uh, don't know how I got there. You know, I got to climb in my dorm window. And I knocked over a lamp, didn't pick it up, just went to bed. And I did that constantly. And my dad calls it a a seminar because I didn't come out of there with any credits for college. I I got kicked out after a semester. I went home and things just got incredibly worse. I saw all my friends going to college, going to trade school and getting their lives together. And I was stuck at my parents' house and tried to go to community college. My use was so bad that I couldn't go a day without it. I told around for a couple of years and uh, me and my dad were in, I was from Richmond, Virginia. And I, uh, me and my dad were in West Virginia for a day. We had a good day. You know, we, we cut down a tree and we split some wood and we did manly stuff, you know. Um, and then at the end of the day, I thought my dad went to sleep and he didn't. And, uh, he came upstairs and I had, I had smoked weed and I, I did a couple lines of some pills. Luckily he didn't see me do the pills, but he smelled the weed and basically told my mom, we got into it. And, uh, I drove home the next day. I didn't use it all. I just wanted to feel how horrible of a person that I was <laughs> and uh, get home. And my mom has dinner for me. She sits me down and she's like, Matt, you can't keep going like this. You know, and I didn't say anything. And she's like, I have a place for you to go. And I want you to go. You know, I remember she was holding back tears. My mom doesn't like me to see her cry. Um, and so I could tell she was serious. She told me you go or you're out. And so I said, all right, but I'm not going until after new year's. <laughs> and, uh, so I, you know, I called the, or the treatment center called me and I told them what I was using and I didn't tell them everything because I thought maybe they wouldn't take me if I told them that I wasn't really using that much. Mom convinced him to take me anyway. I went to Father Martin's Ashley in Maryland. 
which is now just called Ashley, I think. And I, I had every intention of, you know, going there for 28 days and coming home and just trying to drink normally. And I was going to lay off the drugs, you know, I got kicked out of there in 10 days. And I didn't know this at the time, but my brother was having shoulder surgery that same day. And my dad had a bunch of like important work meetings or something. So my mom couldn't come because she was dealing with my brother. So she sent my dad up there. Me and my dad had had a lot of run-ins since, you know, not just that one. We had had physical altercations. You know, I was punching holes in the wall. I was a rage monster. I hated myself and I hated my life and I hated everything. And he, uh, he picked me up and just started driving north on 95. I didn't know where we were going. Um, I just, we didn't talk, just drove. And he drove me to a treatment center called Mountainside in Canton, Connecticut. And I lived in Richmond, Virginia. And I get to Connecticut and there's like three feet of snow. It's like negative two degrees outside in January. I have my, you know, like fall jacket. I was like, well, I'm going to need a bigger coat. And I stay there. And after about a week or so, they brought in these meetings. Uh, there was an AA meeting. There was an NA meeting every week. And that was like our social interaction. We got to go and see people that were outside. Um, you know, one night, I don't know exactly when it was. I think it was in there like maybe a week, maybe 10 days. And the guy asked, he said, uh, how many of you are in the lodge right now? We raised our hand and I'm in the back twirling a cigarette in my hand, just trying to wait for it to be over so I can go outside and smoke. He said, uh, okay, there's like 20 of you, something like that. Yeah. He said, one of you will be sober in a year and more than that will be dead. And at the time I was like, oh, whatever. And I, I constantly go back to that guy and I, and I'm thinking about it and I'm like, you know what? I don't want to be one of those guys that are dead. I know that I could be dead. Um, there's a lot of <laughs> places I put myself in and situations where I could be dead car accidents. I got into another car accident too. Um, and I was like, okay, all these people in this meeting are happy. They're giving each other, you know, daps and, and hugs and, you know, when you go get your coin, it's like one of those big podium meetings, right? So you get to go up there and get your coin. And if you get a year or more, somebody gets to give you your coin. And it was pretty cool. And I was like, you know what? All I've ever wanted was to be happy. That's all I ever wanted. And so I'm going to try. Um, after I was there, I ended up staying there like an extra few weeks. Uh, I asked my mom if I could come home. <laughs> she said no. So I did a, this phase four program, which is no longer there, but basically you, you work for the treatment center and there's a place to stay just off, just away from the lodge and did that for a few months, started to feel good. I had purpose, you know, at that time, I, I think I had like three or four months and then I called my mom and I asked her to come home if I could come home. And she said, no. And so I went to sober living and I got a job 
doing fire, water, and mold restoration. I was like demoing houses and and just you know hard work. And I was paying my way, and I got a sponsor in AA, and I was working with him, and um, he was good for me. Um, I finally felt like I belonged somewhere for the first time in my life. Uh, everybody in a meeting could understand exactly the pain that I had where I was at in my life. And, um, I loved it. Started working the steps. I took on a commitment. I made coffee, um, did a celebrate recovery meeting too, that I was really enjoying because I was mad at God. I was mad at God for a lot of years because of what had happened to me physically. I had lupus, I, you know, bad relationships, whatever else, you know, it all, it's all the same. And I ended up staying up there until I had a year sober. And I remember I was in a crawl space uh, under a flooded restaurant. You couldn't roll over in there. And I was in a Tyvek suit and we were pulling out wet insulation. I was down there for eight hours. And I got out of there and I, I get back to the sober living and I called, I called my parents and I was like, you know what? I think I want to go back to school. And they said, you can, but you can't come home. So I ended up, I have ties to St. Louis, Missouri. It's where I currently live. And I, uh, I asked if, if with their help, could I move to St. Louis? And say so they said, yes, you get your year sober, we'll help you. And I already know that, you know, I just such a blessing to earn some enough trust to have them help me. And, you know, so I took the train home. I got my car, my, my 2001 Honda Accord five speed with the missing, you know, paint on the roof and the hood. And, you know, I piled in everything I had, which was like one chair and like, close and we get to the apartment that me and my dad had flown and, and found. And one day I uh, enrolled in community college and the first day we get there and I had thoughts of drinking already. I thought that, you know, new place, new me, I could do it. And my dad was like, well, are you going to go to a meeting? I was like, yeah. I guess I'll go to a meeting. So he drops me off at uh, a club here in St. Louis and I go to a meeting and, um, you know, I intended that ended up being my home group meeting for several years. And, uh, you know, still talk to a lot of people from that meeting. A uh, guy sponsored me that was in that meeting for a while as well. You know, I toiled around for a while uh, with school. I got a job at a gym, uh, still sober. But I just, you know, I was fighting myself. I was, you know, I wanted to go to school for business. It wasn't for me. I couldn't pass economics. I was, like I said, I was a horrible student. So I already thought that I couldn't do it. And so eventually um, the house manager of my sober living, I think I had like three or four years at the time. He ended up, he got surgery and got a taste for opiates again and overdosed. The guy had eight years or something, eight, nine years sober. And I went to the funeral 
And it was it was hard as shit for me to watch because this guy had helped so many so many guys like me. You know, I was just helping people mourn and talking to people. And guy told me that I should I should be a counselor. That he felt comfortable talking to me and that I should try that out. So I said okay. I was ready to quit school. To be honest with you, I was going to go work for ServPro and do what I did in, in Canaan and quit. I said, you know what? I'm going to give this one more shot. So I went, um, took a couple of social work classes, decided that I was going to give it one more shot. And uh, funny enough, I got A's in those classes. Um, You know, my horrible GPA, I was able to get it up high enough to where um, I could transfer somewhere. Um, And even funnier, I met my now wife in a biology class there uh relationships were tough for me so the first thing i told her first thing first time when we met was i'm i'm a recovering alcoholic and an addict and there's a lot of baggage um and i still am working on myself but if this is something that you think you can deal with i would love to try to get to know you it's one of the hardest things i ever had to say you know and uh she was like okay let's go get some tacos and so I was, and basically we've been together ever since, but there was a time kind of in my sobriety where I kind of went away from meetings and I was dry for a while. And, you know, I, I got back into that anxiety, depression, and I, I wasn't connected to the steps and, or people in AA or NA or whatever. And I ended up going back and, you know, since then I've never left. Um, sobriety has given me everything. I am now employable. (laughs) I have two degrees. I have a bachelor's degree in social work and a master's degree in social work. Um, I started my own uh, sober living business that I run full time. It's called Learn to Live Recovery. And I took a lot of the things that I learned and a lot of the things that I think were important through my recovery journey. And I wanted to bring them here to Missouri. And you know, it was just a dream of mine to do it. I told one of the guys that works for me now that I wanted to do it when I was, you know, working at the treatment center and um, with him and the other person that works with us now. And, you know, for a while I was a tech, worked my way up to to be a counselor. And now, you know, I have a life beyond my wildest dreams. Um, I have a wife. I just had a baby a month ago, Magnolia. and. Uh, you know, I look into her eyes and I see perfection. I see all the things I did right. Um, I don't, when I look in the mirror, I still see mistakes that I made and things that I don't like, all that stuff and fear. And now um, I'm able to share the solution to, you know, young guys in recovery. I chair a couple of meetings. I sponsor guys. Um, I believe in doing step work. Um, you know, I do the steps once a year. And um, one of the things that I tell my guys all the time is all the things that I ask them to do, I still do. Because I know that if I take a drink or a drug again, there's no telling if I'll ever make it back. I'm one of the lucky ones who who didn't really have a relapse after they went to treatment. Like I did outpatient and all that kind of stuff and I could never stay sober. But once I went, 
and found the solution, you know, I haven't gone back and I can't say that, that I never will because this is an everyday thing, but now with my life, the way I, the way it is, the way I'm able to carry the message on platforms like this and, and in the rooms and in my sober living, I just, I love my life today. Uh, I, I can't complain, <laughs> you know, and I guess, I guess that's my background story. Man, that was fantastic. And I can relate on so many levels, man. Like there were so many times as you were sharing that, that I was like, oh yeah, I've done that. Or is he telling my story? Like there were so many, so many parallels there, man, that it's, it's just incredible that we, you know, we get this opportunity and recovery to hear other people share their stories. And like you were saying, like finding that place where we feel like we, we belong and, and that other people understand the pain and, and the misery that we've been through. Like that's, that's such a huge piece. And, and at the beginning of the story, you know, you were talking about just not feeling like you fit in, not feeling like you belonged. And I can relate to that on such a deep level of just like going through adolescence and just like not feeling like I had a place in the world and not feeling like I fit in and just kind of feeling like a, like a weirdo or an outcast or, you know, whatever word you want to use to describe that. And just like all those, those feelings. And then that just kind of progressing into to drug use and, you know, thinking you found the solution like that, that was me. Like I, I found drugs and alcohol and I thought I had found the solution and didn't realize, you know, all the negativity and all the craziness that, that, that decision to use was going to have on my life and you know how many years I would struggle with addiction. So I love that you shared that part of your story and I'm sure a lot of people that are listening can relate to that. Yeah. I, you know, I, I always go back to that, you know, when I'm working with guys and stuff and um, you know, I, I just, I've never felt like I fit anywhere. I never, I never felt like I fit anywhere. And, and, and on the outside, I could be a chameleon. I could go hang out with any different number of people and they would never know how I felt. And um, ultimately I just wanted to find my people feel connection and be happy. And ultimately that's what got me to try at this recovery thing and finding that connection in the rooms was huge for me. And even though I had I had a slip there in the middle where I, where I was you know kind of away from it, they always welcomed me back, <laughs> always. And that's that's what I love about this recovery community. Absolutely, man, and and I I can totally agree with that. Like in the beginning, going to meetings and stuff, like seeing those relationships that other people had, and like you like you mentioned, seeing the joy on their face and like people given hugs and handshakes and all that, like something about that was really like really drew me in. It was like, I want to have those kind of relationships. I've never, I've never felt that connected with other people. And like, here's this whole room of misfits that are all like hanging out and, and seem to like each other and, and they're happy. And that was just really attractive to me in the beginning. And, you know, it still is today, man. Like, like you said, I, I have commitments at my home group. Like I show up to meetings and I've built those relationships in my life. And man, I, I just can't imagine going back to that old way of life, man. Like today my life is beautiful. And I feel like we're kind of 
in a similar, similar spot in our lives. You know, I had a baby a few months ago. You just had a baby. Like our lives are, are like the, the things that like we've been given all these things that we never thought we'd have, or we definitely don't deserve, man. And it's just a beautiful thing. So thank you for sharing your story. Yeah, I, I really appreciate you having me on. Uh, I, I love platforms like these where we can show people that recovery is possible. And, um, you know, as somebody who who had to get sober young because it got bad quick, I got sober at 20. I'm 31. Uh, I've been sober since. And I have things now that I never thought were even possible. You know, my dad will tell you that there was a better chance that I was going to end up in jail or dead than graduate college. <laughs> and somehow I have two degrees and a, and a, and a wife that loves me and, and, a, and a baby and a business. And it's just, I wake up today and I'm just amazed with the way my life looks. <laughs> it's incredible. Absolutely, man. It really is. And I know before we started recording, you, you mentioned that you didn't want to make the whole episode about, about your sober living, but I'd love to give you a chance just to, to shout that out. And if anybody's interested, how can they find out more information? Yeah. So it's called learn to live recovery. You can find us at learn to live recovery.com or on, uh, Instagram at, uh, LTL recovery. Um, or you can find us on Facebook at Learn to Live Recovery or or LinkedIn or or however. Um, basically, it's it was a dream of mine to bring the structured sober living model to Missouri. It's something they didn't have here, and you know, really, these guys are getting to learn how to live again. That's where that name came from. I when I was working with people, I was like, man, it's not about just not drinking. It's not about just not using drugs. You have to learn how to live a different way than you were living. We have to learn how to deal with our problems in a different way. We have to learn how to build relationships that are meaningful. We have, we have to learn that we're not always set up to fail. And so what My Sober Living does is, is you know, it's a long-term program, um, extremely structured. The guys are learning different mindfulness ways to to turn their brain off and to deal with their anxieties and stressors. We do meditation, uh, equine therapy, yoga. Um, I take them out on a number of rec events just to show them they can have fun in recovery. Like I, I'm a big sports guy. I love music. I'm a big believer in if my recovery is strong enough, I can go anywhere and I can do anything. I don't have to hide. And I love going to concerts and I love dancing at weddings and I love going to going to baseball games and hockey games. And I can do all of that today. And I want to show that to these guys. And so we do a lot of that. And, you know, I have the privilege of being able to watch these guys lives change when they buy in. And there's a lot of accountability and support. We work with the guys one on one on three different levels. Um, we work with guys that have been in trouble before and help rebuild their lives and give them some tools so that when they leave, they'll be ready. Um, just a dream of mine. And, you know, I appreciate you talking about it. And if, if anybody want, is interested in it, um, you know, learn to live recovery.com. Shoot me a note if you want more information. Um, 
that's awesome, man. And and I love the explanation of, of the name and, you know, it, it just brings up so many thoughts, you know, it, the first thing that came to mind when you were describing how you came up with the name is just the idea of like the difference between abstinence and recovery. And, you know, for me, like that's part of the reason that I'm still involved in recovery, you know, at this point in time, like the desire to use has been lifted and I don't think about using nearly as much as I did in the beginning, you know, every now and then I have that fleeting thought, but it's not like that obsession that was there but I still continue to come back because I'm still learning how to live this way of life. I'm still learning how to handle different situations. And that's, to me, that's part of the beauty of like the recovery community is that I have relationships, relationships with all these different people that have all these different lived experiences. And so when I come up on something new that I haven't had to deal with in recovery, I can turn to somebody that's already walked through that and, you know, ask them, what did you do? How did you get through this? You know, I've, I've, since I've been in recovery, I've lost family members. And that was something that I never thought I would be able to get through without having to use. But I was able to, to, to reach out to some people that were in my circle that I know have lost family members and been like, Hey, how did you cope with this? How did you deal with this? What did you do to get through this without using? And, and that's the beauty of recovery, man. We just, we build this community around us and we find all these different people with all kinds of different lived experiences. And it's just, it's incredible because everybody is willing to help each other and share what they've learned. It's, it's so incredible. And, you know, I, I was always, they talk about reservations, right? Do you have reservations about your drinking and stuff like that? And, you know, some of the things I wondered, what, what would happen if somebody close to me died? Like, how would I handle that? If that happened to me and I didn't use it. And then what about my wedding? Like, how am I not going to have a champagne toast at my wedding? And I, I got through that sober. And, and uh, you know, there's nothing that we can't do in this life reasonably that we can't stay sober through if our, if our recovery is strong enough. I believe that. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Well, thank you again, Matthew, for taking time out of your day and, and sharing your story with us, man. It's, I love, I love hearing people's stories of, you know, from active addiction to where they are now, man, and just painting that picture and giving people hope just the, of the incredible lives that we can have if we, if we decide to get on board with the recovery thing and, and give it a shot, man. So thank you for coming on today and sharing your story. Thank you for having me. I loved it. Matthew, thank you again for coming on the show today and sharing your incredible story with us, man. I really do love hearing stories where people overcome their addiction and just see all the amazing things they can do with their lives. If you guys are interested and want to learn more about Learn to Live Recovery, the links will be in the show notes. You've been listening to Recovery Survey. If you got anything out of today's episode, I'd ask you to please leave us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can find us at recoverysurvey.com. You can listen to all of our episodes on the website as well as connect with us on social media where you can get previews for upcoming episodes.